Welcome, everybody. F1 Feast, World Women's World Cup, Premier League Cup, Premier League Cup. Premier League is starting. Leave that in, producers. It's your buddy Gavin. It's supposed to be the F1 Feast. It's supposed to be the filibuster freestyle. And uh, let's put it this way. My family, Mary and I, have been afflicted with that virus that so many of us have heard about over the last three and a half years. So we missed a Hungarian, sorry, a Belgian Grand Prix F1 Feast. Uh, we're in the middle of F1 silly season. U.S. women's national team got knocked out in the round of 16 by a Swedish team that has been continued to be very fortunate when it comes to penalty kicks uh, being missed by their opponents. Sweden actually beat Japan today to get into the final four. A couple thoughts on all that, but at the end of the day, this is just you know a placeholder to say completely upended situation here in podcast land by that COVID-19. Only thing is really worth saying. Number one, I heard rumors that Carlos signs in a provisional contract to race for Audi in 2026. That would be an incredible silly season piece. It also would make for an incredibly long, lame duck period of racing in which Carlos Sainz would, in theory, if he's under contract with Ferrari, race next year and the year after, as well as the rest of this year, with people knowing that provisionally he's going to go to this new team, Audi, who's buying um, the Alfa Romeo team, which is Sauber. Sauber owns it. Alfa Romeo brands it. Anyway, that's wild. U.S. Women's National Team. Listen. One of the most interesting things the Netherlands head coach said in the second game of the group stage was the U.S. used to be more fit than everybody else. They're no longer the case, and no one's afraid of them. Now, the fitness piece is true in that if the other teams have caught up in fitness, then it really comes down to skill. This is not going to be a skill conversation. It's going to be that the United States on the men's side has for decades been missing that striker, that elite scoring threat. But... It didn't really matter on the women's side. The women's team was either way better than their opponents or had enough. But you wonder if the investment in women's soccer around the world has gotten to a point where the striker issues that the U.S. seems to have on the men's side will be pervasive on the women's side, or was this just a tough cycle where you had some injuries, some people getting kind of later in their career, and maybe some people early in their career weren't quite there? I would say let's wait for the next cycle before we say, oh, the women's national team has the same striker problem that the men's national team has had for decades. The women's national team has earned the right for us to not base them on one World Cup appearance or one World Cup cycle even. Um, but as the rest of the world has gotten better and then you have, you know, the U.S. had four games. They only won one of them. They only scored, I think, four goals in the entire... They scored four goals in four games, three of them coming against Vietnam in the opener. It begs the question, from the United States soccer standpoint, what are we going to do as a country about strikers, about scorers? It's like having a go-to scorer in basketball or a lights-out goalie or a lights-out pitcher in hockey or baseball where they can literally take over a game more than anybody else. In elite striker who can break open the game even when nothing wants to work. That's something that every elite team needs in the United States has struggled for that in the sport of soccer globally over the years on the men's side. And again, the women's team hasn't ever really had that problem. 
This year they had problems scoring. We'll see. So anyway, here's the theme song. And then we have at least one of these stopped in gear on the other side. P.S. It's the next day. I'm Hush Tones. I'll explain. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster. Freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. It's the filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. Okay, so what happened was we were doing that meandering pod, and then we got interrupted for reasons we were already going into. And it's now the next morning at 6.08 a.m. And so the good news is we had a little bit of time to read an article that actually helps us factually make the point we were trying to make, which is, does U.S. soccer, not U.S. women's soccer, not U.S. men's soccer, U.S. soccer period, have a development problem? And I was saying before the theme song, with strikers. And I think the answer is yes. Um, on the men's side, obviously, and clearly this year with the women's team again that I think scored four goals in the entire World Cup. Scored all four of them in their first two games and wound up losing excruciatingly on penalty kicks by virtue of two missed goals, which happens, by the way. But the answer this time around was yes. But, but what I found out was that the U.S. women's national team in 2022, so last year, their under 20 years old team, which is basically the team before the big time team, didn't even get out of the group stage of the under 20 Women's World Cup. So they played their three games and went home. Did not advance to the knockout round. And that two years earlier, sorry, four years earlier, so in 2018, the under-20 team again, so made up of different people who in 2018 were under-20 versus in 22 who were under-20. The 2018 team had the same result. They did not get out of the group stage. So if here in 2023, the people who were under-20 five years ago and or last year were both on development teams, youth, not youth, but development teams, if you will, and both didn't get out of it in the U20, that means that our 19-year-old team and under in 2018 wasn't close compared to their peers at the same age around the world. And last year's team of people who were also under 20, still not close to advancing to the knockout round, or certainly the finals, relative to their peers who were the same age around the world. And to compound that further, the under-17 team last year in 2022, a lot of numbers here, but the under-17 team, so younger people last year, they got out of the group stage, but they got knocked out in the, the first round, assuming, assuming that's the round of 16. But regardless, they did get out of it. However, in both 2018 and in 2014, the under-17 did not get out of the group stage. Now, there's a pretty good corollary between the 2014 team of 17 and under, four years later being that 2018 team of 20 and under ballpark, 
and therefore maybe you've got a rough batch of talent on your team. And similarly, if the if the under seventeen team in twenty eighteen did did not get out of the knockout round, but the one here in twenty twenty two did, that means that the, that the people who are coming up and in four years would either be on the under-20 team or be on the senior national team. They might be a step up in talent. What I'm trying to tell you is the development of men's soccer has been in question for decades here in America. If you go back to 2014, 2018, 2022, 3 you see that this group of people who were developed to replace the groups of people that were part of dominant teams on the women's side seem to be, for whatever reason, not developing at the same rate as their peers around the world of the same age. Full stop. Which is the problem with the men's team and has been for decades. So the point is, and I was alluding to this at the beginning of the pod, the coach of the Netherlands had said the U.S. team, women's team, used to win because they were the most physically fit team. And people were afraid of them, and they are basically afraid of their fitness, couldn't match the fitness, couldn't match the intensity, couldn't match the physicality. So things like putting the ball in the back of the net were happening, but not because we had elite strikers necessarily. It was because we had the best athletes and we had the most of them. And anybody will tell you at any level of sport, including the highest level of sport, the people with the most best athletes are probably going to win regardless of the skill set because you can't teach athleticism. Full stop. So let's look at the United States as an Olympic nation, right? We have the third biggest population in the world. And we routinely, especially in the Summer Olympics, are in the top three, if not the top two of the medal count every single year. So the United States is really good at developing elite athletes across the board. And so when having the best athletes on the soccer field was something we could do. That's World Cup gold right there. And if you look at the Olympics, the Soviet Union, which became Russia for a long time, was always in that top three as well, especially when it was the Soviet Union. China has kind of replaced the old Soviet Union. China has the biggest population in the world, and they are routinely in the top two or three in the Summer Olympics. And so... You look at the three largest countries in the world, India, China, United States, America. In the Summer Olympics, two out of those three are crushing it in sports across the board. But if you look at the World Cup, women's World Cup, excuse me, okay, China's women made it, didn't get out of the group stage. The U.S.'s women made it, lost in the first round of the group stage, or sorry, lost in the first round of the uh, knockout round, in the elite, in the 16, the round of 16. And obviously India, just like in the Olympic movement, India does not distribute, it does not develop athletes at the level that you would think they, that a country of a billion plus could, and that's a different thing. It's not, a, this, it's not this podcast. But so China has no problem developing elite athletes, and the United States has no problem deleting, developing elite athletes. But China, 
in the United States for not developing elite soccer players, that goes back to soccer is different. Soccer is a global sport and, again, it's been proven time and time and time again on the men's side that having the biggest population or being able to develop elite athletes is not enough in soccer because too many people play soccer around the world. Too many countries have it as their number one sport. And too many countries are way more efficient at developing elite soccer, a.k.a. football players, than the United States or, or China, frankly. I don't know enough about China, but they, they're not putting it up in soccer the way they are, they are in other sports. And so, again, if the U.S. women's team is now on a playing field where the countries that are really good at developing elite soccer players and have been on the men's side forever are putting enough or better resources and development into the women's game in their countries that after, let's talk about a 10-year cycle, in 2014, the under-17 women's team was starting to show us that we were losing ground in terms of our athleticism being enough. And then when they all turned four years older, three years older on the under-20 team in 2020, 2018, and they also don't get out of the group stage, boom, there you go. And then here we are in 23, when some of those people have been fed up to the senior national team, and we barely get out of the group stage in second place, there you go. And so what you have is the ability to say, oh, it was just a bad crop of, of athletes, but that's not possible in the United States. Because we turn out athletes that are elite relative to their peers in like every other sport there is. And again, not unique to the U.S. because this is the same case in China, I believe. With very limited research on the Chinese side of terms of development. But when you think about Argentina being able to win the World Cup on the men's side last year. I mean, Argentina has some decent basketball. Argentina, I'm sure they do okay at the Olympics, but no one thinks of like, oh my gosh, Argentina. Same with Brazil. Brazil wins a lot of medals at the Olympics, but Brazil is nowhere close to where the U.S. and China are. But everybody talks about Brazil having, you know, the elite soccer talent. I believe Brazil is a huge country, population-wise. So again, the talent piece is equally distributed. The development piece is not, and the U.S. is deficient across the board, always has been on the men's side, Identifying and developing talent at the level relative to the peers of other countries around the world in the specific sport of soccer. So the Netherlands coach kind of hit the nail on the head. He might have hit it for the wrong reasons. Because if the other teams are as physically developed in terms of fitness and readiness and physicality and strength and conditioning, flexibility, resilience, you know, recovery, etc., if all those people are getting the exact same training physiologically as the U.S. is now, and then the soccer development is really what the key is going to be, then this is not a wake-up call for the women's team. This is not a wake-up call for the women's game. This is a wake-up call for whoever is developing players in America because it's a compounding effort with the fact that on the men's side, a country of this population doesn't develop soccer players the way the rest of the world does. And again, maybe it's because you can't be good at everything. In many, many, many countries, soccer is the first, second, and third choice sport. And in the U.S., 
And in China, and in several other countries, soccer is not the first, second, and third place sport. But soccer is too popular for your fifth or sixth choice sport on the men's side, specifically. It's too popular around the world for you to be able to be at an elite level if it's the sixth choice in terms of popularity. And I'm not saying it always is. I'm not saying it's actually sixth. But you get the point. Anyway, filibuster freestyle. Felt good to do one again. Hush tones or not, over two days or not, family not feeling so good or not. Uh, so anyway, enjoy.